Good morning and Merry Christmas to each and every one here this morning. With a group this size, I'm sure we all view Christmas a little differently. We have people from all areas and walks of life. And those views of Christmas are shaped by family traditions that your parents did, family traditions you're currently holding. Could be past experiences. Some have lost loved ones over time of Christmas, and this time always brings that back. We all view Christmas just a little bit differently. My wife and I were talking earlier in December that we are struggling to get in the Christmas spirit this year. And I don't really know what caused that for myself. Personally, it could have been simply wrapping up my college semester and other stuff. But as we talked about that and I was forced to think about what exactly is this Christmas spirit that we are struggling to get in the mood for. To start off this morning, I want to give you just some simple facts about American Christmas. I don't plan to really expand on these. I'm simply going to share them um, to get us started. So between November and December, 14,700 people visit the ER due to holiday decorating injuries. Most are from falls. Others are from burns and such like. The United States Postal Service alone in 2019 delivered 910 million packages. That's not Amazon, it's not FedEx, it's not UPS. That same year, they also delivered 15 billion pieces of mail in 2019. The average American spends a little over $1,000 for Christmas. About 650 of that goes towards gifts. The rest is towards decor, food, parties, etc., if you multiply that number by the population of the United States, it's over $340 billion of spending. I found this one interesting. The average pet owner in America spends a roughly $60 on their pet every Christmas. So if you have a pet, I don't, I'm not going to judge you this morning if you chose to buy your pooch a little dog bone, whatever. And also, Americans spend roughly 15 hours shopping every year for etc. And I'm wondering this morning that if I have allowed the American Christmas to impact my Christmas, have I allowed the American Christmas to maybe hinder me from getting in that Christmas spirit that we had talked about? In April of 2019, my wife and I had the opportunity and the privilege to go with her family to Grenada to visit her brother who was teaching school there. And due to my knowledge of the island and my time there, I, uh, I um, was the tour, the tour guide, per se, for the trip. As I drove the family around the island, and I got to see them experience the sights of Grenada, the, the views of Grenada, the smells, and, the, and all that goes with it. For the very first time, I realized that I had lost the joy and the wonder that I once had for that same island, which is extremely beautiful. And I'm thinking this morning... And I know for myself that I have lost the joy and the wonder of Christmas. And just like I got to ex see them experience Christmas or Grenada for the first time, I want us to experience that this morning. I want to instill in us this morning a new wonder, a new appreciation for Christmas so that we can display the Christmas spirit daily. I'm going to break the message into three parts this morning, talking about the birth of Jesus, 
I want to talk about hope and joy that comes through the birth. I want to talk about the cross of Jesus, which is where it all comes to climax, and the love that was showed towards us. And finally, the present day and the peace that is available to us because of Christmas. I would like to read the Christmas story from Luke 2 this morning, uh, the first 20 verses. As I read the Christmas story, which we all know so well, some could maybe even recite it, I want you to look for the instances of joy and hope in the story. Look at how the characters reacted as they simply experienced what we now today call Christmas for the very first time. Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. And it came to pass in those days that there were now a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that when they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were going away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at these things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Looking at some of those different characters who played their role in that story, the very first Christmas, look at the shepherds. They received this news of great joy, and they believed it. And we know they believed it because they followed, they, they obeyed the angel, and they went with haste. And they worshipped the baby as they found him, just as the angel said. But then stopped there. They went and they spread the word. And others received the same news of joy with wonder. And then they returned to their fields to do the things that they were called to do, and they glorified and they praised God. Look at the angels. One angel delivered this great news, but one angel was not sufficient to respond to the news as a whole multitude joined together, and they praised God. I can just imagine the joy and excitement. They had probably looked forward to this day for so long to deliver this news. A Savior is born. While this is not part of our story, the wise men, when they came and they saw the star, they also rejoiced with great joy, Matthew 2 says. All these characters 
And you can see the excitement and the joy that they had. And for us today, have we received this news? Have we believed this news? Are we worshiping because of Christmas? Are we spreading the word just like the, just like the shepherds did? And are we glorifying and praising God for Christmas? A Savior is born. And as I looked at each of those characters and I saw the joy and excitement that they brought, I did not see that in my own life this Christmas. And I wanted that. I wanted that new joy and excitement. A Savior has come. And all that that means. I also want to read Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 9, the two verses. Isaiah prophesied roughly 700 years before Jesus was born. And so put yourself in the shoes of the Israelites as they heard Isaiah speak these, these verses or these words. Or maybe they read them throughout the years. And try to imagine the hope that these verses brought them. So Isaiah 9, just six, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The hope that that must have brought those people. And the government that's being spoken here is not talking about Congress or the Senate. It has more the idea of reign or authority. So on this child that is promised to be born, the entire reign or authority is upon his shoulders. And there is no end to that reign. So I want to elaborate now on the joy and hope that Christmas brings. Joy is not the absence of bad things. Joy is not created by man. It's not sustained by something inside of us. It's not based on our externals. Because joy, however, is supplied by God himself. Romans 15, 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. We don't produce our joy. We don't create it from inside of us. There's no matter the effort and the desire to make joy. It does not come from within. From within. It comes from God, and it's given to us upon belief, joy and peace in believing. The joy that we have or can have inside of us is the same joy that was in Jesus. Jesus said in John 15, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. What was the joy of Jesus? If his joy is to be our joy, what was his joy? Oswald Chambers says this, The joy of Jesus was the absolute self-surrender and self-sacrifice of himself to his Father. The joy of doing that which the Father sent him to do. So if our joy is to be the joy of Jesus, then we can rightly say that we need to completely and absolutely self-surrender and self-sacrifice ourselves to God and find joy in doing the will of our Heavenly Father. If that is true then our joy will be complete. Our joy will not be lacking. It will be sufficient. It will be full and overflowing joy. The amazingness of this joy that is available to us is that it's possible even during the hard times. James 1, 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. How can we do this? How can we have joy when we are in trials or in storms? 
It's because going back to the fact that our joy is not based on the externals. It's not based on our comfort. It's not based on our success. It's not based on the things that we have accomplished or heaped upon ourselves. No, our joy is the joy of the Lord. Nehemiah 8.10, finally, the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's an Old Testament promise of a New Testament principle. But the joy of the Lord is sustaining. And there's no end to that joy. And our strength comes from simply the joy of the Lord. Switching now to hope. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is not like, I hope it snows on Christmas, which it did not. Or hope that we do the X, Y, and Z or receive whatever. You see, New Testament hope is the absolute assurance and certainty that what we are looking for is actually going to happen. The Strong's Concordance says that hope is a favorable and confident expectation and forward look with assurance. This is not wishful thinking. This is much deeper than what we use the word hope today. And a perfect example of this is in Romans 8.24. We are actually saved by our hope. Romans, Paul says, For we are saved by hope. But what hope is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? This is a perfect example of what New Testament hope means. We're not saved by the wishful thinking that, Oh, I hope what Jesus did on the cross is going to be enough. Or I hope that we are saved. No, we have much more. We have an absolute surety that what Jesus Christ has done on the cross is sufficient. And his death and resurrection did in fact accomplish the perfect will of God the Father and paid our ransom so that we can live with him. But where does this hope come from? We're saved by this hope. But where does it come from? Romans 15, 4. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Our hope is right here. Read, 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 and believe what is there. And as we do that, inside of us, we'll be filled with hope. The hope that we are called to have. Paul encourages the Roman church to rejoice in hope. We have something within to rejoice about. We have something within to be thankful for. And we need to praise God for that hope that we have inside of us and also share that hope with others. And finally, Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. That word faith is the same Greek word as translated hope throughout the Old Testament. So we can reread that verse without changing the meaning by saying, Let us hold fast the profession of our hope without wavering. That takes work, diligence. We're called to rejoice in our hope. We're also called to protect. We're called to hold fast to the hope that is inside of us. Today, that manger is empty in Bethlehem because of what Jesus Christ went on to do on the cross. And that's what we're going to talk about next. The cross, that's the reason for Christmas, is the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's the most ultimate display of love that God could have showed with sending his son Romans 5, 8, but God commanded his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for those who were rebels against the very calls of Christ. Christ died for filthy sinners. Christ died for the unworthy, the undeserving, and the unloving. And Christ died for those who hated him. But why did he do it? Because he loved us. He looked down and he desired a relationship with his children. He desired that these lost sheep and these helpless people be given the gift of salvation, and that is why it was done. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave 
his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, that the world through him might be saved. Christmas is not for condemnation. Christmas is for salvation. And God so loved the world that he sent his son, the ultimate display of love. And he offers that free gift of salvation to all who believe in him. That is the love. What is our greatest need at Christmas? I found a little poem, and I don't have the author of it, but it says, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need would have been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. And if our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a savior. That's the reason for Christmas. Without Christmas, without the cross, Christmas is just a story. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The reason we have hope, the reason we have joy of Christmas is because of the cross. It all comes to completion at the cross. And the name Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. That's what Jesus means. Jehovah is salvation. I want to give you a brief overview of the gospel here this morning. Because we're all born with a sin nature. We are all rebels against the cause of Jesus Christ and of what God wants to do. We are held captive in prison by sin and the devil. And because of that, Satan has legal right over us to do with us whichever he wants. And he is set on destroying us. As he comes in to destroy us, the very blows that were meant for us were taken upon Jesus Christ. He took that penalty that was meant to be ours. And so often we stop there and we're in our prison cell where we're worshiping God, thanking Him for the, the taking a penalty of sin. But see, Jesus' blood was spilled for more than just taking a penalty of sin because our prison door is unlocked. Jesus dealt with the problem of sin as well. As we exit the prison cell, we are invited into the very near presence of the King of Kings, who we were just rebels against. As we are taken into the very presence of God, we are told that God, that the king wants to adopt us as sons and daughters of his family. As we meet with the king and we're worshiping him because of that, he gives us a commission. A commission to bear the very name of Jesus Christ as we go forth. A commission to represent him as ambassadors. And a commission to go back into that same prison we were just taken out of and to free others. So it wasn't just a penalty of sin. It wasn't just a problem of sin. It was not just the invitation into his very near presence or even the adoption or the commission. If you wrap that all up and call it the gospel, it still falls short. Because the last part is so condescending on God's part. It's so humiliating for him because he wants to dwell in us. The commission that we are given to represent the name of Christ and to go back into that prison to free others, on our own strength, we're going to fall short. We will be killed but we're not sent forth to be losers. We're sent forth to be victors. And that's only possible because of Jesus Christ living inside of us. And so God comes in and he wants to consume every aspect of our lives. Our hands, our feet, our mouth will be used to glorify him. The death of Jesus Christ paid the penalty of sin. 
It fixed the problem of sin. It invited us in to the very near presence of the King of Kings. It adopted us as children of his family. It commissioned us to represent his name. And finally, we are filled with God, the very presence of God. He lives inside of us. We go forth as victors. That is the gospel in a nutshell. And why would he do all this? Because he loved us. Because he desires a relationship with us. John 10.10, Jesus says this about himself. He says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Jesus' death and resurrection brings us life. And not just life, but abundant life. Over and beyond life. Greater, that is the life. How is that possible? How can that life be given to us? Ephesians 3.20 Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. That abundant life is only made possible because of the abundant power that is available to us through Jesus Christ. The manger is empty because of the work that he did on the cross. But that grave is empty because he lives in us today. And praise God for that. So we talked about the birth of Jesus Christ. We talked about the hope and the joy that that birth brings, that the Savior is born. We talked about the ultimate display of love that God showed in sending a Savior to die for our sins. And finally, it brings us to today. And all of that leads to the, made available for us to have peace today. John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, Give I unto you, and not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. There's clearly a difference between worldly peace and godly peace. And the peace that God gives us is clearly the godly peace. Worldly peace includes lots of money, lots of possessions to protect us against things that may harm us. And I believe the perfect example of this is my parents' neighbor. He is so paranoid that he has custom-built a vehicle and camouflaged it, and I believe this vehicle can even designed to float. And he has stored up canned food. He has bought a place in the woods where he will not tell us, of course. That is how he is producing peace. That way, in case anything happens to him or brings harm to him, he gets in this truck and he goes away. And that's the peace. That's how he is bringing peace to his life. That's worldly peace. That's based on the external. That's based on things that we are drumming up to protect us against harm that may come. Godly peace is so much more. Godly peace is given by God. 1 Thessalonians 3.16 Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace. Always by all means. God gives us peace. But we have a role to play in this too. Colossians 3.15 says And let the peace of God roll in your heart so to which you are called in one body and be thankful. God gives us that peace. But the choice is ours if we are going to allow that peace to rule and to work in our lives. Isaiah 26, 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. The promise is there. We will be kept in perfect peace, but our minds need to be stayed on Jesus Christ. We need to allow that peace to rule within the conditions that we must fill in order to live in perfect peace. And finally, peace is available and is possible even when Times are not so peaceful. John 16, Jesus said, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. 
In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Peace is not based on externals. Peace is not simply the absence of storms or trials. Godly peace is based on who God is and what he has done and is doing in our life. And godly peace is complete peace. It's a peace of the heart. It's a peace of the mind. It is complete peace. And the amazingness about this is that peace is available to Christians today, and it's going to be available all throughout eternity as well. Five times in the New Testament, God is called the God of peace. The peace of God, the peace that God gives us, cannot be separated from the God of peace. And so if we are to have peace rule in our lives, then God must rule in our lives. You cannot separate peace of God from the God of peace. They will always be brought together. We cannot have peace without having the God of peace inside of us. And so the key to peace is keeping together glory to God and peace to men, just like the angels brought. I read it in Luke 2, but verse 14, the angels said to the shepherds there, glory to God in the highest, there's the glory, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. We need to keep those two together. John Piper says that a heart bent on showing the glory of God will know the peace of God. If the desire of your heart is to showcase the glory of God and to proclaim His goodness, that same heart will then know the peace that God brings together. But what holds the glory of God and the peace of man together? John Piper also answers that question by saying that it comes through believing and trusting the promises obtained in Jesus. And that comes from Romans 15, 13, which I read earlier that says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. In believing, we are filled with peace. We are filled with joy as well by believing the promises that are only available to us because of the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. So praise God that the manger is empty because of the work on the cross. But praise God the grave is also empty because now he lives inside of us. As we look to apply a sermon like this or the spirit of Christmas, first of all, it becomes simply rejoicing in Christmas. And this is what I needed, to simply rejoice in the fact that a Savior has come, a Savior is born, and what all that means. I looked at, we looked at the gospel this morning and the cross. That's Christmas. Without Christmas, there would be no cross. Without the cross, we would not all be here this morning. God, became, God himself became flesh. That is a miracle in itself, and we need to rejoice and thank God for that. And also, we need to spread the word. The world knows nothing of the hope and joy and love and peace that we have. Look around us. There is confusion everywhere. There is suicide. There is violence. They need to know of the hope and joy of Christmas and also the love that God shows. And because of that, the peace that's available to us. I believe also that Christmas spirit is contagious. If you have it, others around will know that and simply going to flow out. We all like being around people who are joyous. And I believe that it naturally just flows out, but it needs to be internalized first. The Christmas spirit needs to be inside so it can flow out. And so far in this sermon, I've called it Christmas spirit. I even titled the sermon that. But I f- feel like it's also simply Christian spirit. These spirits are not just to be portrayed and flow out of us between Thanksgiving and Christmas. No, these should be flow out of us all year long. 
And I believe that our Christian testimony is hindered and hampered by, in many ways, if these spirits, which I'm calling Christmas spirits, hope, love, peace, and joy, if they are not flowing out of us, our testimony, our witness, is actually hindered because of that. In conclusion this morning, joy is not based on externals. Joy is supplied by God himself, and it comes through believing in what he has done. Our joy, the joy that is available to us, is the same joy that Jesus had while he was here on earth. And it's possible during even the hardest of times, because it's not based on the externals, it's based on who God is and what he has done. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. It sustains us, and it carries us forward. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope, again, is also not based on externals, but rather it's the absolute assurance and certainty that what we are looking for is going to happen. And that hope that we have is what saves us. We are saved by our hope. Hope comes through reading. Hope comes through believing the Word and the Scriptures and what is there. We are called to rejoice in hope. We are called to protect the hope that we have within us. And love, 1 John four nineteen. we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. It's not the other way around. Christ died while we were sinners. And the cross, as I said it multiple times, is the ultimate display of love that could have ever be shown. That God sent his only son as a human to die on a cross for sins he did not commit so that we can live with him. And because of his death, because of his resurrection, we have life abundant life and that is available to us and finally christmas brings peace all that is accomplished in christmas and the cross gives us peace today it's god's peace it's not worldly peace again it's not based on things that we produce ourselves it's possible even when we're not in peaceful times it's given by god that peace is given by god but we have our own role to play in that as well to let the peace of god rule and to keep our mind on jesus christ Christmas is so much more than a child's story. And I feel like so many times I have reduced it to that. And I simply tack that story on to the rest of my holiday activities as I go through. But it's so much more. Christmas and what Christmas means is ultimately fulfilled in the cross of Jesus Christ. And again, the cross is why we're even here this morning and the blood that was spilled for us. And so this, this morning, this Christmas, this year rejoice in Christmas. Thank God for Christmas because of all that Christmas means. It's not just a baby coming. That baby was our Savior and he died for us. So this morning I wanted to instill in us a new wonder and appreciation for Christmas and I hope that happened. But the purpose is that we can display these, this Christmas spirit or this Christian spirit of hope, of joy, of love, and of peace throughout our lives every single day. Shall we pray? <clears throat> Father God, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for sending your son as a baby to die so that we can live and have abundant life. Father, thank you for the hope that's available to us through Christmas. Thank you for the joy that Christmas brings. Thank you for the love that you shared to us through the cross. And Lord, we thank you for the peace that is available to us today because of what Jesus Christ accomplished. So once again, thank you for Christmas. And help us all to show love and peace and hope and joy to each one we come in contact with, not just through the Christmas season, but all year around. May you get the honor and may you get the glory. Amen. Eddie, can we have a song? <clears throat>